BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. WQAD Podcast Network. The Cities with Jim Mertens, a production of WQPT, PBS for the Quad Cities region, a podcast in partnership with WQAD. What's going on in the Quad Cities? Activities, events, fun, politics, sports, local issues and opinions. And now, your host, Jim Mertens. I'm Jim Mertens, and this is the City's Podcast. Welcome to spring. We just got through a long and sometimes cold and wet winter. (laughs) What it looks like right now, and what are some of the long-term trends we're seeing with our weather and our climate? We talked with the Illinois State Climatologist, Dr. Trent Ford, about our spring ahead and what we may see after that. Dr. Ford, thanks for joining us. You know, was it a tough winter, and does that have any... I don't know, harbinger of what our spring's going to be like? You know, it was an odd winter um, overall. You know, I think, I think for, the, for the Quad Cities, for most of the state of Illinois, um, it was a winter when you, when you take the whole thing from, you know, the start of the snow season in October all the way through where, you know, knock on wood, we're not all the way through, you know, the snow season yet, but especially for climatological winter, December through February, it averaged out to be pretty, pretty average winter but but december was extremely warm you know january and february were a bit cooler got a a lot of snow here in central illinois you all missed out a little bit more in the quad cities but still got closer to normal uh in february it's overall kind of an average average winter what we've seen from spring and and really there's not necessarily a great relationship between how strong your winter is or how weak your winter is and what your spring is going to be like. Um, what we've seen from spring so far is a lot of variability. And that's that's pretty pretty normal for March. Uh, you know, highs in the 70s and lows in the single digits and uh, back and forth. Um, and, and what we're seeing from the outlooks, at least for the month of April as a whole, and then like the three-month period between April, May, and June, kind of that, that the transition between spring and what we'd consider summer uh, is is uh, elevated chances of above normal temperatures and above normal precipitation uh, for the Quad Cities area as well as for, for most of the state of Illinois. So been pretty variable, you know, that transition between winter and spring, it can catch a lot of folks by surprise. First time you feel 70 degrees, it's like, oh, right, this is what this feels like. It's fantastic. Uh, but then the cold comes back. Uh, but of course, as we move towards towards April and especially into May, you know, the colder air becomes warmer and warmer. So I, I do expect us to get a little bit more mild conditions as we move farther into spring. Well, and as you know, uh, parts of Illinois and, and large parts of Iowa as well have been facing uh, various levels of uh, drought conditions. Um, yeah. I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's, it's, it's vastly improved in the northern part of Illinois. Southern part of Illinois still is facing that. I mean, that's still going to be a concern for farmers. I mean, we're, you're, we're walking outside, we're getting mud on our feet, and we have a problem believing that we have a drought. Yeah, I know. This is a tough it, it, winter and spring are tough to, to, to communicate and understand drought. Uh, first and foremost, when we're talking about agriculture, actually a little bit of dry soil in the spring can be a benefit because it, it can expedite field work. 
make for less conditions uh, that can make for, you know, things like um, com uh, compacted soils, issues with getting uh, equipment in, things like that. So actually drier soils, especially that top layer soil, can actually make things go a little smoother during the planting season. The problem is, is that if the dry soil sticks around in the summertime when the heat sets in, that can create issues with the crop. So I kind of battle back and forth to say, yes, the rain we're getting, it's, it's delaying you getting in the field early, but it also is going to be a saving grace down the road. So, you know, we take a little bit to, to even if it creates a little bit of delay. You know, yeah, the last couple of weeks have been greatly beneficial to to getting rid or at least improving drought conditions in in northern Illinois, especially um, really all across the I-80 corridor. Most places picked up anywhere between two and three inches over the last 10 days, um, and that fell on on entirely thawed soils. So it didn't just run off those frozen soils and go into the streams and out of the area. It soaked into the soils. I'm hearing a lot of folks, like you just said, with, with muddy topsoils. Um, the big thing though, is that drought doesn't end with one rain event, at least in most cases. And this is not, uh, not an exception uh, because prolonged periods of drought not only affect your topsoil, maybe your, your, your you know, top 12 or 18 inches of soil, but they can penetrate down into your deeper layer soil, your groundwater, which is something we saw in, in Northern Illinois from last year. And so although the topsoil is wet, that moisture is ideally going to drain down to the deeper layer soil to recharge that it's more shallow groundwater. That's actually got two advantages. One, we get that water in the, in the, the deeper layer soil where it needs to be when plants need it. Second of all, though, the, the drier, uh, deeper layer soil is gonna allow that water that's creating the mud that you're stepping in right now um, to, to, to drain down faster. And so your topsoil dries out faster when, you're, when your deeper layer soil is, is drier, which is what you have right now in Northern Illinois. So honestly, the, the, right now, the outlook is much better than if it was just two to three weeks ago that things have improved. Now we're not out of drought necessarily for, for a, lot, a large part of Northern Illinois, but we're moving in the right direction for sure. We're coming out of a La Nina winter, are we not? I mean, did yeah. it, did it, I mean, how long does this last? And did it actually occur <laughs> the way you thought it was? No, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it, it, so we, we're in the second actually straight uh, coming out of the second straight winter of La Nina. It's called a double dip La Nina, which is not unprecedented. They, they, they do tend to happen where we get two years in a row. What's interesting about this year is that it's sort of this winter sort of shaped up like a La Nina winter for the broader perspective. Uh, La Nina winters tend to be very wet in the Ohio Valley. So we're thinking like southern Illinois all the way up to, uh, to, to parts of northern Kentucky. That was the case. It was very wet. They tend to be dry in the plains. Definitely the case. You know, parts of eastern Nebraska got less than half an inch of total precipitation for the winter. So that was definitely the case. And then somewhere in between, between, let's say, Lexington, Kentucky and Omaha, Nebraska, it's kind of throw your hands in the air. Who's going to be dry? Who's going to be wet? In this case, that line really really played out between let's say Peoria and the Quad Cities where the Peoria area got a, quite a bit of snow decent amount of precipitation the Quad Cities were left a little bit drier this winter and so in that sense the La Nina winter did play out the way that we kind of typically expect it to of course year-to-year -year variability is really important not every La Nina year looks like every other year um, what's interesting this year though is that we're still in La Nina often we talk about the El Nino Southern Oscillation which is El Nino it's 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 cousin La Nina you know, uh, and we talk about that as a winter phenomenon. You know, it's happening, but it's most relevant to the Midwest climate in the wintertime. In fact, this year, we're still in La Nina. It's persisting. And the, the latest outlooks from NOAA 
uh, show or suggest that we are likely to be in La Nina at least into summertime, if not through summertime, which is fairly rare. Um, now, the effects of La Nina on our climate do dwindle as we move towards the summertime, but they can still be there in persistence in the atmosphere. And that, again, can lead us into a bit of a drier outlook for um, areas farther to our west. Western Iowa, eastern Nebraska, their outlook is pretty dry for the spring and summertime. So that, that's kind of we're still dealing with the remnants of La Nina. It's still here, although, again, it plays less of a role in our climate than it would have in, in wintertime. And I want to talk about climate change in particular. And one of the things that, as you were mentioning, uh, uh, the amount of rainfall that you get and when you get it are both two critical calculations to how good our soil does. But farmers are facing a couple things that maybe they didn't always face. Microbursts of rain and, and also very strong sudden winds as well, which of course, you know, affecting the corn crops. Is that a sign of a changing climate or is that just weather? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so we have seen an increase in total precipitation every single season and, and year over year. We've also seen an increase in, in very intense precipitation, which is what you're talking about there. Kind of, you know, getting, getting let's say, the same amount of precipitation in a month, but it's coming in fewer events with, with more bursts of rainfall. And that creates all sorts of problems with inundation and flooding when you first get that rainfall. Uh, but then also a lot of that runs off, which means that it's not there in your soil to use during a dry spell that comes after that. So that is a problem. And that is one, at least, you know, year-to-year variability does play a really important role in that, but there is a consistent signal over the historical period uh, of, uh, of an influence of climate change on our, on our precipitation intensity. Now, when it comes to strong winds and other severe weather, um, uh, that they are, they are incredibly um, uh, destructive to infrastructure and agriculture. There hasn't been necessarily a really well-defined signal, uh, climate change signal in, in severe wind events. Um, Mostly that's because they're very hard to observe uh, over the large scale, let alone keep a consistent record of, and that makes it even harder to attribute any sort of apparent trend in those wind events to climate change, and especially to anthropogenic climate change, the, the, you know, the human effects on, on our climate. Um, and so it's a lot harder to do that than for things like drought or wildfire or, for example, extreme precipitation, like I just mentioned. So that makes it a little bit harder to do that. Um, I will say that that uh, when we you know, run the climate projections to end of the century and beyond, there's not a situation where we don't see uh, the, a continuation, at least a continuation of the sort of frequency of severe wind events that we've seen over the last 30 to 50 years. And so there may not necessarily be a great signal right now that we can pick out to say, yes, climate change is causing any sort of increase or change in these severe wind events. But I am confident in saying that that this is going to be the, the strong winds, uh, destructive winds or something that we're going to be dealing with um, now and into the future, irrespective of climate change. Well, and with climate change, also, we're seeing a longer growing season, which I think most people would sit back and go, well, th th what's, what would be wrong with that? That's great. But as you well know, I mean, then you get more insects, uh, uh, insects that aren't necessarily native here are moving further north. What is the real impact of a longer growing season? Yeah, so the longer growing season can be beneficial. Uh, the, the growing season lengthening means that our last spring freeze is moving earlier into the into spring. Uh, so planting dates can theoretically move up. 
um, some of those longer term, uh, longer maturity uh, hybrids of corn, soybeans, other plants can be planted. Um, and the, the last fall freeze as you pushes back. At the same time, our kind of shoulder seasons of spring and fall are getting warmer overall. And so we can actually accumulate growing degree days uh, or growing degree units that can help push, uh, let's say, a corn crop to maturity later into the season, which is something that we've seen in recent years like 2019 when we had problems with delayed planting. The problem is, is it's not just corn and beans that like a longer growing season, an overall warmer and wetter Illinois. Lots of what we consider weeds or uh, invasive non-native species of plants and, as you mentioned, animals, bugs, uh, also uh, enjoy a warmer and wetter Illinois. And so overall, what we've seen uh, in the couple that past couple decades and what are projected are with a longer growing season, among other things, uh, changes in precipitation, a warmer winter uh, plays a big factor in this. It just means more challenges from pest management standpoint. So, you know, in agriculture, we deal with integrated pest management, that's weeds, it's pests like insects, it's diseases. All of the management of those things becomes more challenging and more pressing uh, as the climate continues to change. One example of that we saw from last year, you know, I've, I've spent almost my entire life in central Illinois. I don't remember seeing as many crop dusters in the air as for as long period of time as I, as I did last year. And part of that was just fighting fungal disease uh, because it was so wet, so consistently wet here in central Illinois for so long that humidity played a role in that as well, that everybody was having to spray early, spray often with their fungicides. Um, and that's just, and of course, it's another added cost to trying to get the best yield you can. And so those sorts of challenges are, are, are very likely to continue, if not accelerate, into the future with, with changes in both growing season and our winters. Well, as you well know, we're entering the tornado season as well uh, right now. And uh, Tornado Alley is moving a little bit to the east, it appears, which, of course, would endanger more of Illinois. Then you think of the last, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think of the last big tornado in Illinois being in Washington by Peoria that was like December near Christmas, which was, had a lot of people going, oh, yeah, they're right, it can happen in any month. Can you make any prediction about a tornado season for Illinois and Iowa right now, or have we been inordinately lucky other than the poor folks in Washington? Well, you know, honestly, I, I, the first thing I start with when talking about severe weather, especially 